I blame it on dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever before. <laughs> yeah, seriously though, I, I see this perfect set coming in. Believe it or not, there's dolphins on the wave coming right at me. So if you see dolphins coming at you on a wave, automatically your brain goes, this is going to be the best wave of my life. It's the Paddleboo Podcast. What's up, paddle fans? The Paddleboo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today is another beautiful day in paradise, blue skies, chest high waves. Nice way to start the day. Come in here and talk to you fine folks. I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, it is fun to think about things we're passionate about. Uh, And that brings me to my first point of the day. I have been on a quest now for the last two years, two and a half years, ever since I really got into stand-up. I've been on a quest to ride the smallest boards possible because I've always thought that performance would always come with smaller boards. And for the most part, I agree with that statement. But I have hit this inflection point here really in the last really month and a half, two months, uh, where the fun factor, I think, dives a great deal as you really approach the tip of the spear here in the sport. So I've been riding, I'm, I'm like 82 kilos, I'm like 185 pounds, 180 on a good day. And I've been riding like an 82 uh, liter F1 for a while. And that board is underwater to mid shins for me. Uh, you can paddle it, it's a little bit difficult, but I wanted to drop down to the next level. And so on my last trip to the States, I picked up a 7.4, the Sean Pointer Starboard, which I love. The board's absolutely insane. It surfs incredible. Here's the rub. It is, for, first off, it sinks past my knees to mid to mid thigh. And the physical demand to surf the board, unless it is perfectly glassy, has pretty much taken all the fun out of riding it. Uh, might as well be on a shortboard. Now, what that comes with, though, is being able to draw lines like I've never been able to draw on a stand-up before because you can surf it in the pocket uh, pretty much just like a shortboard. And that's, that's an incredible feeling. It's really fun. But what I've realized here is that it's not so much the size of the board, it's the shape. And that's an incredible shape. But what happens is when you go from the 7.4 to the 7.7, it's not the same shape anymore. The 7.7 is a big... I mean, they're hiding a lot of volume in there, and it just doesn't feel the same at all. It's a completely different board. I mean, it should have a different model name on it. Um, So that being said, I'm putting out a call right now to all of the production board manufacturers, and I really think that you guys should focus on creating really high-performance surfboards for folks that weigh 180 to 200 Um, because there is – from everything that I've seen, now now send me an email. Maybe there's a board out there that I don't know about. But from everything that I've seen, when you make that jump from the 150-pound pro to the 180-pound uh, guy, and probably surfing at a pretty similar level, the board, though, dives in production. And, and then you've got to go into the custom realm. And the custom realm is very difficult because they don't last as long. And uh, if you're working with local shapers, they don't know how to shape a good stand-up. So there's a there's an opportunity, I think, there for board manufacturers. And the reality is I think most guys who are getting into stand-up are getting into it because they're bigger guys who – surfing a shortboard has always been a bit of a disadvantage. And so then when you go into a stand-up, uh, 
you have some added advantages of, of strength being a benefit instead of uh, a detriment. But then if they're not making boards that are high performance, it's almost a little bit lost there. So I'd really love to see in the next year or so some high high performance boards come out. Like just blow up the 7.4 Sean Pointer model up to a 7.6, and I think that's going to be an insane board or a 7.8. Uh, with the same rocker characteristics and the same pulled-in nose, but when you get that fat nose up there, uh, you can't you can't lay the board on rail the same way, and I think that's the big issue. So, all right, enough of the soapbox. Um, shoot me an email, Eric E R I K at paddlewoo.com with your thoughts on that. I'd love to know if there's other boards out there that uh, do fit that uh, that mold. So. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Blue Zone Sup. Blue Zone Sup is now offering private surf retreats, and we're actually focusing on those. We'll still do a couple camps this year, but uh, really we found that the three- to four-guy trip down to Paradise uh, is the way to go. They are incredibly fun. Logistics are better. We're able to surf reef. Some, some of the waves that we can't surf when you've got a group of eight, nine guys. So come on down and enjoy that. It's uh, beautiful food right in the blue zone in Costa Rica. Uh, from November till April, it's pretty much sunny and offshore every day. I can't say it is every day. Maybe you'll get a rain one or two days during that time, but it's not much. So your odds are good. All right, on to the guest today. Very excited to have Zane Schweitzer and Maddie, his brother, uh, join us on the podcast. And I was excited to get Maddie and Zane together because of A, their dynamic, and B, because of Maddie's perspective on the sport and stand-up, because he has been traveling with Zane, he's watched the whole sport develop, but he also, uh, he's a videographer, and he also films the best on Maui, uh, the likes of Clay Marzo and all the other kids out there crushing it on the shortboard scene, so his perspective on the sport of stand-up is interesting, and so I was happy that he came on the show to share that. And Zane is an incredible surfer. He's also an incredible storyteller. And you're going to get a lot of good laughs out of the podcast. You're also going to walk away with a, um, what's the way to describe it? Zane is an incredibly uh, positive individual. He's well beyond his years and maturity. And I believe that has to do a lot with his travels. He started traveling extensively, you know, at the age of 10 because of the windsurf scene. He's been with Starboard pretty much the entire time. Um, he, they talk about their family history on the show, which is, he describes it as windsurfing royalty. Uh, their grandfather helped invent the sport or invented the sport. I haven't looked into the, to the, to the background on that at all. But so Zane grew up in a very high-performance athletic family. He's been driven since he was a kid. And one of the things that I find really incredible about Zane is that he he describes himself as the life of the tour, and I believe that. A kid's incredibly positive, and he just seems to love everybody around him and just wants to have a ton of fun. But then he's also one of the most driven individuals I've talked to. I mean, when he talks about the world championship uh, that's within his reach this year and his training, uh, it's pretty incredible to have that balance to where you're best friends with everybody on the tour, but at the same time, you're that driven to win. And I don't think that you see that in a lot of individuals. So I think that there are a lot of gems in this episode. You'll learn a lot. Uh, you'll probably laugh a lot too. So enjoy it. And without further ado, Zane and Maddie, thank you guys both very much for being on the show. Uh, I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while. How are you doing today? 
Yeah, right on, Eric. Mahalos for hosting us. We're stoked to be a part of it. And, um, yeah, you know, this is Zane Schweitzer and my brother, Maddie Schweitzer, here. We just wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about with you guys, first off, about what we are all about, our family history. You know, um, we come from a family of, uh, of watermen and somewhat windsurfing royalty. Uh, my grandfather invented the sport of windsurfing along with our grandmother starting the first uh, regattas and writing the first magazines and uh, both of our parents are world champion windsurfers as well our dad's an 18-time world champion our mother also a world champion and uh growing up in maui uh with my family and my brother as my best friend and kind of the guy i look up to is always being pushed you know always having the limits pushed and uh you know it's it's pretty cool to have your best friends be your dad and your brother and always going out on adventures, surfing, windsurfing, and doing all the fun stuff we do. And, uh, you know, Maui's a special place if you haven't heard of it already. We got a lot going on here. We got a lot of uh, amazing people to look up to on the islands. And uh, definitely we're in a similar boat there. We were very grateful to be um, from Maui and uh, be surrounded by the people we're, we're with here. You know, when, when Noah Janela was on the podcast, he was he was saying, he was actually laughing, because I guess Kai's from Maui as well, and he was saying that the North Shore, North Shore guys and the Maui guys all surf, but then they have completely separate interests for when there's not waves based on wind conditions and whatnot. So what do you guys get into on Maui when the surf isn't going off? Oh, uh, well, that that's actually... It's almost relaxing sometimes and nice when we are uh, relieving, I should say, when we don't have some waves because that, that's part of the reason why us, uh, the Schweitzer family, are so well. We believe that we're so uh, you know well off in the ocean is because of all the cross training and different sports we do. You know, when the waves are flat, of course, Zane and the boys are are uh, doing some stand up paddling. If there's wind, we're doing Maliko runs, downwinders. If uh, if there's no wind and it's perfectly glassy, you should bet that we're definitely out fishing or diving definitely depending on the time of year coming up here september it's a really nice time for lobster season so yeah there's just a lot of really good things going on i mean zane's zane brandon rose are known for paddling the molokai ian back when when the waves were down and number one right now is my my dad dude we've been looking up to him our whole entire life and since uh he got diagnosed with malignant melanoma and really been watching that every single day of his life he's picked up motocross and our whole life, we've been we've kind of known our dad to be as a professional dirt bike rider. Everybody tells us how our dad was the best windsurfer in the world, and we, we know that. But to us, dude, our dad is dirt biking three times a week, and we're we're trying to keep up with him. We're from 27, Zane's 21, and our dad is 55, and he is still smoking some of my favorite dirt bikers in the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, everything from the mountains to the ocean, Malcolm Makai. You know, we we try as hard as we can to just live live in the moment here in Hawaii and just really appreciate everything that the Akua provides for us. Now, did your, did your father growing up, did he push you guys into this or did he just lead by example and you guys just wanted to take after him and so you just followed in, the, in his tracks? Um, you know, me being the oldest here, um, it was really cool for me. My dad actually, he, got, he did get pushed into windsurfing a bit. You know, his, his parents dedicated their life to, to that sport and also got to say, say a good a shout out to Jim Drake, rest in peace. You know, he was also the main other half to help my grandfather uh, invent the sport. 
But um, my, they pushed my dad a little bit. So when I was born, when I was a kid, my dad really had, I had no pressure at all. Everything was about having fun. Everything was about enjoying life. And then uh, Zane, you know, same thing with Zane. But I was the older brother that always let him hang out with us. So he was always looking up to the kids that were five, six, seven years older than him. And he was always trying to catch up to us. So even though there was no pressure for Zane, he always thought he was a lot older than he was. And he was always just trying to catch up with all the older boys. So I think that's where his real, real drive and motivation and deep, deep uh, concentration comes from. Right on. And so then growing up, you started surfing first, Zane? Yeah, so um, surfing was definitely my first passion, my first love. Um, was surfing before I could walk, like most people from Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was pretty much my everything besides biking. You know, I, growing up, all I could remember after school was trying to sneak into my brother's car with his friends to go surf with them and go biking with all the older boys and dirt biking with my dad. And so those were my two loves growing up was BMX, uh, motocross and surfing. And then, um, you know, like my brother said, we were never really pressured into windsurfing, even though it was a family sport. It kind of just happened where one at one point I was like, okay, now I want to windsurf. And um, sure enough, got to spend a lot of time. I started to windsurf more so probably when I was like 8 or 10. And um, we would uh, meet up at the beach. My parents would drop me off at the beach, and I'd be surfing uh, excuse me, windsurfing with Connor Baxter and Kalani Hunt and Baker Grant and Kai Lenny. And, um, so that's kind of a funny thing because we all grew up surfing together and, and then we all got into windsurfing around the same age as well. And then once we, once we got into windsurfing, it kind of, things kind of really changed a lot. I mean, when I first got into the foot straps and, got off of the water doing an air on my windsurfer. I remember the, the I remember the exact moment so clearly. I was probably eleven years old. I remember Sven Ross Musin gave me a brand new um the owner of Starboard sent me a brand new uh, Evo sixty liter windsurf board and I went out with my mom and dad and my mom and dad are on each side of me and I hit a hit a little wave and did my first um my first aerial and on the same day, I did my first grab rail in one hand. And I just remember that feeling like, oh, my God, this is insane. I'm flying. This is flying. This is flying across the water. And this feels like motocross on the ocean. And since then, I was like, I was hooked, hooked in the mouth. And after that, I was just trying to windsurf all the time. And sure enough, that was what also, Connor and Kai and I were focusing on more so, um, thank God, because, uh, you know, we were still surfing all the time and dirt biking and having fun, but, you know, we, we, we saw the opportunity in windsurf, and very shortly after that, Connor and I were traveling the world year-round, you know, at the age of 11 and 12, you know, going all over the place from Japan, Korea, um, Thailand, Spain, our first trips were, were those places, you know, and being away from home for months out of the year at that early of an age, we, we got to learn a lot and have a lot of fun. And I think we live a very different life than, uh, than most kids. And, um, you know, and it was just one thing coming after that to another, you know, it's, and, and that, it, that, it really, 
So that really, that's where stand-up paddling evolved for us, right? Where Zane was talking about. And it's funny, it's right now, too. It's actually a 10-year out. A lot of people, you ask a lot of pros how long they've been stand-up paddling for. And, you know, that most of them say three, four years, you know? We, Zane just and Connor just had their 10th year anniversary. They just went to Japan. And we realized it was 10 years ago since the first time they went to Japan. On stand-ups. Uh, no, this was this, for windsurfing. Oh, for windsurfing. It was the 10-year anniversary of going to Japan. But, no, no, this is the thing. That was the first trip that Sven at Starboard called up Zane and Connor and shipped them this stand-up paddleboard. And they said, hey, try this new thing. Take it to Japan with you guys. And that was really Zane and Connor's introduction from Sven at Starboard. That was 10 years ago, you know? And from them, from then on, it was God Zane and Connor. It was just their hobby. They loved it. No, nobody was really doing it. I mean, it was they, like back to back falling in love. It was. <laughs> it was I mean, Sven, Sven just she sends us a board, like, "Hey, you guys got to try this. You've heard of it." And we're like, "Ah, not really." I mean, I think we kind of, I think, knew that Dave Kalama was doing it a little bit on Maui. Um, but we really didn't know too much about it. The right. only thing that I knew about it was it was longboarding and shortboarding mixed in one sport. And I loved that because you could go out, jump on a board, cross, cross step up to the nose, do nose rides, but also be able to use the paddle and, and rip turns around. And it was just something fun, you know, for Connor and I for a few years, you know, most, we were, we were more so competitive. We were already, you know, making a living pretty much. Or at least getting trips covered at the age of 11 and 12, flying all over the world, competing in junior worlds for windsurf. But at the same time, we were introduced to this sport of stand-up paddling. And we continued to practice. We're not going to give up on any other sport. You know, we were still surfing and, and doing our, all, all of our other things. But now it's just another sport added to the, to the repertoire. And, you know, and I, it was funny because... Here we are focusing, putting all of our energy professionally into windsurfing. And it just all of a sudden took a flip. It was like there is, I feel like it was one day. And for me, that day was the first ever stand up world tour event. And that was, um, Maddie, can you help me recall the year? I think it's 2010, I believe. The first, first year, 2010, of the, the, the Waterman League stand up world tour. I competed in the Nakamakai uh, Sunset um, Beach Pro, and the Nakamakai was the kids' division. And he was 15 years old. And that was like, after seeing that, it was like I felt like I was competing in the HIC Sunset Beach Pro for surfing, <laughs> you know. But I was out there stand-up paddling, and one of the top guys. And I was like, wait, I'm good at this, and I'm in a contest, and I ended up winning the Nakamakai. Then, then I get uh, all this praise from my windsurf sponsors saying, oh, you should keep it up. You should tra start traveling with your stand-up board too. And sure enough, it was like from there on, it was all of a sudden so much opportunities was just flowing at me with, for stand-up. And I'm not the kind of guy to t put down an opportunity. You know, I took hold of that and I grasped it. But it was still kind of something fun as Maddie could kind of take note on because we were still just having fun with it. It, it really didn't get serious 
Yeah. I mean, until until we saw our best friend Kai Lenny get a world title, and that was before we even thought it was a sport. It was like, wait, we were just figuring out that this is even a real sport, and our best friend growing up has a world championship title, and we're like, what the hell? <laughs> we gotta we gotta take this a little more serious, you no? Know? Because Kai. I think Kai was definitely being pushed by Robbie and, and everyone in the early years to really take advantage of the fresh sport and and get a title under his belt early. And I think he, for us, it was we were just having fun doing a side sport, you know, that was also had a lot of opportunity, you know. And it was it it just it's amazing how fastly everything grew, you know. It's it's really crazy to see how far it's come since then and. You know, like we were just talking about in Japan, Connor and I were just having deja vu sitting there in Kamakura on the same beach that we went to 10 years ago to teach a windsurf clinic where we caught some of our, you know, where we caught our first waves in Japan. And that was on a stand-up paddleboard. And um, that's that's the history of it, pretty much the start. Mm-hmm. That's epic. When did stand-up become your focus? How, how many years ago? Oh, man, that's a tough question, but Maddie, maybe you could help me with that. I'd say 2011. That was that was the year, you know, right when I finished college in Australia. It was my first time yeah. going with Zane with a camera and filming. And it was actually for a windsurfing event. I went to Peru, and it was, it was an amazing trip. And Zane did awesome. I think it was for the American or one of the windsurfing tours. But, um, yeah, that year he became world champion. Um, so... One contest after that, it just all of a sudden, uh, I think it was at Sunset Beach or something like that. It was my first real introduction to stand-up paddling because I was going off to college when Zane went to his first few events. And all of a sudden, it got serious. And we noticed that there were surfers at that event. There there were kayakers at that event. There were OC1 paddle. There was these people from all these different sports all of a sudden molding into one. And we were kind of looking around shoulder to shoulder, and I'm nudging Zane going, dude, Zane, this, this is really happening. You know, this is, this is real. This isn't just a fad, you know what I mean? Look, look at this opportunity. These people that we look up to are uh, paving the way. And from there on, you know, Zane, we realized that, hey, this is, this is going to be our main focus. And luckily, Zane's major sponsors – we're saying the same thing, you know. They were they were right behind his back, and um, it, everything everything was, yeah, just started going really fast from there. Right on. So that's something that Colin and I have talked about on the show a little bit. That you kind of mentioned right there is that right now the sport of stand up paddle surfing is still so young that you have the leaders in the sport gen, gen, generally coming from another sport as a high caliber athlete and then adapting into stand up paddle surfing. Um, and then we were talking about the difference in styles between where those athletes came from. How do you, being a windsurfer, being a surfer, how do you see that? Who has an advantage coming in to stand up, and what are the differences depending on what sport you came from? Well, I'm going to go ahead and be stubborn as a shortboarder and say shortboarders definitely have the advantage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really the main reason why I say that is because really, especially growing up here in Hawaii, if you're a shortboarder, you started off – God, I want to say longboarding, but really, truly, you should have started off body surfing. You get in the longboarding, you get a shorter board, you get a shorter board, and you've learned how to read waves. You've learned how to read the ocean, all right? It's, uh, 
so I definitely think short borders have much more of a, a in-depth knowledge and connection with the ocean um, rather than, you know, some other people like, you know, just getting straight into it. I never tell people to just go ahead and start shortboarding. I, you know, I always suggest that you, you body surf first, you know, you, you boogie board, you longboard, you do everything. You OC1, you really got to get to know the ocean. So when it comes to one person having an advantage, one sport, I really don't think any certain sport has an advantage. Um, of course, the Hawaiian canoe paddlers, the OC1 paddlers, when it comes to long distance, the Molokai to Oahu races, they really know how to read the open ocean. And that's one thing that surfers, most surfers, all our best friends that are pro surfers that we're actually watching right now live at Trestles, you know, they they might not have the knowledge of the open ocean as, uh, you know, OC1 paddlers and uh, guys that do canoe paddling or even sail, sailing or fishing. You know, we're, we're lucky enough that our dad took us so far away fishing with, as we were kids that we couldn't even see the Hawaiian Islands and we would have to read the open ocean. We'll create an appreciation for the greatness of the ocean, you know, and I, to touch on what Maddie and was just saying is when we're talking about advantages in the sports, you know, I, I look at the Hawaiians as the ultimate example. And that's because in Hawaii, we truly take in to start the ocean and the land. And whether we're, whether we're just trying to put food on the table or trying to get from one place to another, it involves the ocean and having an understanding of the ocean. And, you know, we all grow up in Hawaii doing multiple things, like Maddie just said. And when the day comes where you're paddling a stand-up paddleboard, your outrigger paddling is going to come into damn good handy. And same same goes for when you're out there stand-up paddle surfing, your longboarding and your, and your shortboarding is going to come into handy. And it's, uh, yeah, so we're very blessed to be brought up in, in Hawaii under with uh, the Hawaiian culture and under our, our, our parents and our family's wings. So, and so, Maddie, I've, I've been watching you on Instagram a bit, and your photography, your videography is amazing, for starters. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. If you guys haven't seen what Maddie does, I will link to uh, all of his Instagram or whatever in, in, on, the, on the website. So you guys can check that out. But it looks like you work with some super high caliber surfers in Maui too. Um, and Zane, do you surf uh, with those guys when Maddie's, when Maddie's shooting? And if so, how does that work? Are those guys super chill with you being in the water on a stand-up? Or do you normally surf with them? How's that work? Yeah, of course. I've been sneaking in their car since I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I've been surfing with these guys my whole life. And it ain't about the change, man. I'm never going to give up surfing. But the times when I am stand-up paddling at home with uh, Dusty and Clay and and Granger and Albie and the boys, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a part of the part of the team, you know. And uh, I think the only people that ever gives weird looks on Maui when I'm out in the water on a stand-up paddleboard is the people that have no idea what's going on. And um, you know, I, uh, it's fun. Yeah, you've definitely earned your spot there. I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, for for me, you know, all, all those guys, you know, for Zane, it's kind of. We, we didn't, we didn't really realize for a while what was going on and where our friends were going to take it. And, and it was just, it's just surfing with our friends. And that, you know, Zane, 
Zane has learned a lot, again, learned a lot growing, trying to keep up with Clay Marzo and Dusty Payne and Wesley and Granger and Albie Lair. It's, uh, it's just we've all pushed each other and people always ask what it is in Maui and it's, uh, it's just each other. Honestly, it's, we're fortunate enough to, I think, our parents, you know, it really did stem from, I think, the windsurfing crew, you know, whether or not all the boys from Hokipa and God, our, our parents had such a cool connection in the 80s and stuff. The stories they tell is amazing. And all of our best friends are, were best friends with our parents and their parents. It's pretty cool. And I want to note on that, too, it's uh, let's just loop back to the base here for, for our family of windsurfing, you know. You look at uh, a lot of the top surfers on Maui, you know, a lot of their parents came to Hawaii for windsurfing. You know, a lot of these pro, a lot of the guys in the top sports on Maui, whether it be uh, surfing or stand-up paddling, um, their families came to Hawaii or started off with uh, with windsurfing. And um, so it's it's pretty cool to know that our our parents and our we're best friends doing a lot of the same thing that we're doing. With uh, with my friends' parents, you know, for example, my parents and Connor's parents grew up traveling together, and and same thing for um, a lot of other athletes like Kai and uh, and even Kane Daly and the Lairs and and stuff like that. So it's really cool to to be a part of and to know that there's a base and we all get to just choose our own path from there. You know, yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's like a, you grew up in a playground. Of of ocean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you getting ready for Huntington? Oh yeah, you better know it, man. I'm seated second right now, and I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to take that world championship title, man. This has been my dream come true to to become a world world champion, and um, now in stand up paddling, it's uh, it's been my primary goal to be a world champion in the stand up paddle surfing side of things, and. You know, um, it's been a crazy few years with a lot of ups and downs, but I really feel like um, I'm leveling out my head and and getting a a good a good program in and really starting to take this as you know my my career and you know I've I've been dedicating my life to this since I was a child, but really I've only started eating, breathing, and sleeping this over the last you know year or two, and. Um, you know, in the last two years, not here. The last two years, not too many people know it. Zane was sick. Last year, 2013, 2014, Zane was rolling up to events. The competitors know it. Yellow in the face, throwing up in heats. He had a bug that he caught. Well, not for partying. No, he had, he, had <laughs> a bug, he had a bug that he caught in Mexico or something. And it, I can't even count the amount of times where we're in random countries at the hospital in the middle of the night. Praying to God that he's going to make it through the night. Uh, and that, I've seen some pretty bad stuff, and it was it was bad for a while, and it lasted a really long time. And it lasted almost a year and a half, and we got multiple tests and diagnoses, and no one could diagnose what I had, you know, because of my consistent traveling. Uh, they'd be like, okay, well, where have you been in the last six months? And I'd be like, uh, Japan, Thailand, Mexico, um, France, Spain, Tahiti, Austria. Um, do you want me to keep going? <laughs> so they could they can't they couldn't pinpoint what it was where it got it from. It was just a mystery sickness and from the most that we've understood it was 
an amoeba or a parasite, and I lost up to 20 pounds of muscle mass during this time period. I was deathly ill a lot of the time. You know, like Maddie said, it was it was bad. I'm finally feeling healthy. Finally feeling like I'm yeah, but getting my is, life back. Together. This is the year I've seen Zane try and try and try and. Last year, it was kind of like he was on a on a tread, you know, a tread treadmill or something. But uh, dude, this year Zane, his, his results are showing, and he's he's ready. I'm I'm really confident that he's he's gonna have the best results of his life for sure this year. And he's he's training every day. He's eating right. He's doing everything he possibly can, and he's looking like he's fit. Yeah, and you're coming off a win in Tahiti. Oh yeah, that's my my most prestigious. That's my Favorite win I've, I've ever had out of all my sports I've ever done. It's that's an honor to 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 win that event, you know, and in real waves like that, with, with my brother by my side too. It's unreal, it's unreal. Yeah, tell tell us about the final day there. Yeah, so Tahiti. Maybe I'll talk about the day before the event before we go into the actual event. Yeah, do it. A, a lot of the time. I feel like there's a huge drama before I get a good result. And um, so surfing, training for the start of the event, um, I was with my brother out at Sapi News, some solid waves, and I remember catch my. I remember Zane, sitting... Zane convinced me to drop the camera and get aboard and come out and catch a couple. And, you know, so out there surfing, and I remember sitting in the lineup with Maddie, and Maddie goes for the first one, and... And then I go for the second one, and I'm right behind him, and I get a really good wave, just full-on stand-up barrel, spit out, and everyone in the channel's like, screaming. And I thought they were cheering for me, like, oh, sick one. And, but, and then I look a little closer as I kick out, and they're all pointing in and, like, screaming at me, like, pointing in. And I look in, and I, I see my brother face down in the water. Oh, God. I, I paddle as fast as I could, probably faster than I paddle on my 12.6 when I was on my 7.1, <laughs> freaking straight up to my brother, and he's, um, his left side of his body is, is not, not, um, not responding. Um, it was, I'm almost tearing up just thinking of it. It was a really scary moment for me is to see my best friend and my brother you know, face down in the water, like that's the ultimate nightmare to, to have your your partner, you know, have something like that happen. And I, so right away, junior lifeguard kicks in and um, immediately grab him, uh, safety swim him to the boat, um, put him on our board and lift him into the boat to make sure, that, you know, we didn't want to hurt any back or neck injuries by carrying him in the boat. So we put him on the board and I had Noah Janella right there next to me and, uh, um, I believe Cody Kerbox was there to help as well, and and he was he was not responsive for quite a bit, and uh, it was it was a very epilepsies be a, a ch another challenge to overcome for him in life, and we knew the dangers of it, you know, but you know you, you can't give up something like surfing once once you're in the gang there's no coming out and um so that was really scary we, we rushed to the hospital and uh luckily enough his feeling started to come back on the way to the hospital he started to regain his feeling 
on his left side of his body. And um, luckily, we after hours of waiting patiently in the hospital, there's no no serious neck or, or um, back damage. He did, however, throw out a few ribs, hurt a shoulder, and tweak separated his shoulder and uh, tweaked his neck and pinched the nerve, which caused the uh, the the weird the weird non-responsiveness. And oh my god. So it was it was very scary. It was very scary to say the least. And um, do you remember the the wipeout, Maddie? Oh yeah, it was all be- sorry. It was all because of the dolphins. I blame it on dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one I've ever seen, before. <laughs> yeah, seriously though, I I see this perfect set coming in. Believe it or not, there's dolphins on the wave coming right at me. So if you see dolphins coming at you on a wave, automatically your brain goes. This is going to be the best wave of my life. Right? <laughs> Definitely you know, does. So I didn't even attempt to read the wave. I just assumed that it was just going to start draining and barreling. So I, I just right away stand up paddling, which I rarely ever do unless it's knee high. I'm a short border till the day I die. But I was stand up paddling, and it was, it was a good size wave. And I right away just pig dogged the thing, backside, ready to get drained. And the wave wasn't even there. <laughs> and it did this little weird lip shot thing and I saw that it was about to lip me so I went to stand up right away because I was backside I went to you know turn on my toe side and try and straighten out a little and wave, wave just lit me right on the back of the head and wasn't expecting it right then and it just threw me into the flats I did a big spin throw in the air and threw me out into the flats and I knew nothing was I didn't panic at all I knew I you know I've again I've epilepsy just getting knocked out so many times so I've I've seizures and I've been knocked out a lot. I knew it wasn't a concussion or anything, but I was underwater. I felt confident. I had a nice breath of air, but I just went to swim and no left arm, no left leg. And all of a sudden, even underwater, it was just like I was getting electrocuted on the, my fingertips, my toes, and my my knee and my elbow just felt like it was getting crushed. It was really weird. I didn't know what was going on, but it just felt like all my joints were just getting crushed on the left side of my body. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't go out cold for anything, but my, you know, my couldn't move the left side of my body. I was kind of tripping out, but, uh, luckily it all kind of came back and it wasn't anything too serious, but God, it's been three, four months and I still can't even surf. So, <laughs> Oh man, well that, I'm sorry to hear that dude. Yeah, Zane, do you think <clears throat> that that experience the day before the start of the contest had anything to do with your mindset going into the contest, maybe not taking the contest so seriously and just being able to surf? Yeah, you know, I definitely definitely felt grounded, to say the least, um, in touch with what's real, right? in touch with what, what really matters in life, and that's, to me, my, my family and our passions and what we sacrifice to follow our passions. You know, living the moment in time, you know, and uh, it's, you know, we like like we were saying, you know, we, we know Maddie's not really supposed to be surfing. Doctors tell him he shouldn't even be taking a bath. That's like telling a dog not to take a poop on the lawn. You know, it's it, <laughs> he's of course, we're going to keep surfing. And so I think knowing what's important in life really grounded me, you know, to, to have that experience to, to know. What really matters definitely put me in a a more clear mindset. Let's just say that more clear, and um, it, it seemed really natural to me the the whole event. Um, I won every heat all the way through the, to the final, and 
Um, it just everything felt like it was the stars were in alignment. I felt really comfortable. Waves were big. I've always been passionate about big wave surfing, and um, just had fun with it. I had a lot of fun with it, and you know the last heat was the kind of the cherry on top because the whole the whole event you know i i was kind of just taking it heat by heat but knowing that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna win this thing and i, I told myself i want to finish with a um with a barrel i want to finish this trip finish this event with a big barrel and this the the, the start of the final was so slow it was like kind of nerve-wracking, but at the same time, I was keeping my cool. Unlike most uh, most times, like where you're, you know, if you're nervous, you sometimes freak out. And I, I felt controlled and still like confident. And in the last, I I needed like a, I think I needed like a high score. I needed like a high seven or something. And it was coming down to the last, like minute or something like that. And I caught the set came. I was in priority. And all of a sudden, just took off, and I saw it. Did a, I opened up with the setup turn, and I saw it just drew down the line. Well, this gonna be a good wave. Pulled in, felt fully barreled, and came out. Just, and I knew it right at right then, then and there. I was like, oh, this is it. Paddled back out because there's still maybe 20 seconds left. There's another set, and the horn blew right before Kyle took off on it, and uh, it was like. It was just, uh, it was, it's really cool. And it was, was a double too. Kyle, Kyle just barely didn't get that last wave, and Zane made it back out in time to get the second wave of the set. And even though the heat was already over, only by ten seconds, Zane got what would have been a ten for sure. Spit out, <laughs> stand up. It was like he already just got a epic barrel. I think he got an eight point nine or a nine. I already got a epic barrel during the end of the heat won the contest with it and then still paddled back out and just got another spit out barrel so it was it was a moment it was like everybody everybody there was just like all right that's that's god saying zane you deserve this one <laughs> you know it was pretty cool how come i haven't seen the video of this yet is it out there somewhere well the biggest <laughs> issue again because i got hurt i'm zane's video guy right and i'm sitting there with a brace around my neck right and a sling in his left arm this was a big thing for me i'm filming every event and now i'm on a boat if i would if it was anywhere else in the world i would have been able to film on a tripod tripod, one finger you know but we're we're sitting there on a boat bouncing around i can't be on a tripod so i i opted to just take photos and um so i i was that was just i got a bunch of bunch of good shots but i was taking photos the whole time and in the final, um, I decided to, to get video and fly my drone. And I flew my drone out for the first five minutes, which I didn't do the whole event. And it was the first time Zane was losing. Kyle Vaz started winning, and I just like thought it was jinxing me. I was like, screw this. I'm putting the drone back down and just putting my energy into Zane. And I swear, right when I brought that drone back down and started focusing on Zane, he's, he got a good one. So it was... Uh, it was, it was a bummer for me. I did really, it was one of the most special events and moments. I, I didn't get to make an edit out of it, but, um, you know, I got some good photos and it was a good experience. Right on. <clears throat> so you've been on tour now since the beginning of the tour. Um, what's it like traveling with all the guys, all the friends that you've got on tour? You know, we have a really special relationship on tour. 
Um, it's it's really really cool. I grew up competing professionally and surfing and windsurfing and uh, amateur motocross. And I tell you what, the the vibe that we feel on tour with stand up paddling is is really special. Uh, there's so much aloha in the sport. There's so much camaraderie between the athletes, and there's really not much ego. I remember getting 100%. I remember getting sick of of competitive shortboarding because of all the ego and because of you know this and that and uh it really just kind of it made me kind of almost n- not like uh surfing um the competitive side of it and that's what really pushed me to be a, a big wave surfer and a com- and a free surfer right well, you and, know not, not to interrupt you there but something that I think about our sport you know stand up paddle surfing is I think you've got to leave your ego at the door when you get into it because everyone's clowning on you anyways most of the time, right? Like Exactly. 100%. 100%. That's, a, that's what I was going to say. So it's like, you know, we're coming in, <laughs> coming into this. It's like, we're, we're like already the, the clowns, you know, the boogie <laughs> 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 we're already a bunch of clowns to everyone else's eyes. And so it's like, just go out there and have fun, do what you love and who gives a Rats right. ass about what anyone else thinks, and I think that's what really makes a special vibe. And and it's a new sport, and everybody respects each other. It's not like oh, I'm a better surfer than he is. You know, it's like oh, well, this guy could be a better windsurfer. Who knows? This guy could be a world champion windsurfer. And, you know, got Kiahi Dia Boyce. God, he's one of the best stand-up paddlers. He's he's world champion kite surfer as he's trying to be world champion stand-up paddler. You know, it's like we have such a cool group of people and you, you never know who's who so everybody really does leave their egos aside and it's really a great thing yeah and you know each each one of these athletes are have their own story and i think everyone really sheds light to that side of things you know um everybody thinks about where everyone else is coming from and you know i think that's that's special and on the on the note of that it's really is a group of our best friends traveling around the world with each other, of course, with a goal to win, but we're having so much fun along the way, or at least we're trying to make sure everyone's having a lot of fun along the way. <laughs> I think Maddie and I are definitely the life of the party at most events of, of the tour, and definitely... And the frother. <laughs> and the frother. <laughs> and Dylan Frick. <laughs> But we, uh, we, we always make sure to take full advantage of these trips and these opportunities because, I, you know, we understand that we're living the dream. And we get to do what we love and call it our job. And we know that, you know, most people save up their entire life to go on one of these trips that we're doing every weekend. So at the same time as we're, you know, living, eating, breathing, sleeping to, to, to be champion and to do our best, you know, when that's, when the comp is over, it's time to really experience the culture, meet new friends, have a good time with everyone that's there in the moment. Because really, when I'm 50, when I'm 60, when I'm whatever, those are the moments I'm going to remember. The moments that we're goofing around, being kids, having fun, you know, doing, doing the things that, that every person can enjoy together. 
You know, it yeah, doesn't if, matter if, who if you are. Of, if you're one of Zane's competitors and you know he's in a heat tomorrow, you're in a heat tomorrow with him. You find him the night before the contest, and you lie to him. You tell them there's a big party, and that you're going to go to that party. And you're probably going to entice Zane to go out the night before. <laughs> and it's something that I need to just strangle around his neck. <laughs> Two weeks ago, he's like on stage in Austria at three in the morning, like raging on stage with hundreds of thousands of people with Red Bull. And I'm I'm literally going, Zane, you have a race first thing tomorrow morning. And he's just going, but I'm not drinking. <laughs> doesn't matter you know but yeah i warmed up my legs that night and won the race the day after <laughs> <laughs> how, how does racing fit in uh to your to your whole competition plan right now yeah so let's 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 move into racing a little bit this is the work part of things okay do um, you love it uh i we have to love it we it's have gonna, to love it's it. gonna be the end of the olympics we have to love it yeah, you know, surfing is the passion. Uh-huh. Racing is the work. And unfortunately, um, in my position, without, without, uh, without the racing, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. Gotcha. The, the, the sport, the sport is not, um, to the point where it could be at where we could really make a, make a living doing exactly what we want to do. And, uh, so now we just got to do it all. And, and I think for me, I'm one of the only athletes that follows every event of the World Series and the World Tour. And I do that because, number one, I'm passionate about traveling and I'm passionate about experiencing new places. And I love what I do. I'm dedicating my life to it. But also because I know that I want to I wanna be the best I could be in surfing and racing is only helping that racing's keeping me fit mm -hmm. it's uh it's keeping me mentally strong and it's keeping me um humble because it really is whoever crosses the line first wins there's mm -hmm. no there's no questioning there's no judging there's it's you it's your board it's your paddle and it's how much you're going to give how much you're going to want it to cross that line in first and um, there was a point in my career uh, two years ago where I got sick. I got sick of competing in the stand-up surfing side of things because I felt like I felt like I was being praised by everyone in the sport. Um, you know, oh, we got your money on you. You know, you're the best. You you're really pushing the limits of the sport. You, uh, you know, innovation. Um, you know, doing things that people don't see on stand-up boards normally and the judges, uh, I never, I never got what I felt like everyone else um, uh, saw. I never got the result I really wanted. Maybe because they they weren't looking at that style yet. Can, and um, can, can we I, talk? That, can we talk judging for a minute? Because we just ran the Padawu video contest, and what we ended up doing—I don't know if you listened to that or read about it—but we ended up winning one first place. Mo, uh, Mo Freitas won it, but then we awarded. Uh, four second place finishes because I felt like I did a terrible job defining the judging criteria. And so it basically made it um, a popularity contest on, on who, would have, who would have taken it second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, and so now we've just decided to define the judging criteria differently for the second contest. But I'd like to get your insight on what do you think judging criteria should be for high performance stand-up paddle surfing? Well, 
I'm going to let Maddie touch on that because Maddie is my number one coach. You know, Maddie's been there with me since since day one, teaching me everything I know. And uh, even to this day now, he's he's my coach and my mentor when it comes to, to that kind of stuff. So we'll let Maddie touch on that. Yeah, when it comes to judging, I'm very opinionated. Okay. And I, I, let, I let everybody know. Uh, I've been kicked out of judging towers. So. <laughs> And that multiple times, and that uh, even on an event that Zane won, you know, let me. I I got kicked out of the judges' tower on at the Abu Dhabi Pro, and Zane won the event, you know, and I still had my issues, you know. Um, it's just uh, explain that. What, what were the issues? How do you, you see know, it, I'm, and how do judges see it? I'm a I'm a sharp border, and okay. uh, they all all the, they always say, oh, we're ASP ASP um, sta- standards, you know, ASP standards. I love it. Speed, power, and flow. I love it. That is straight surfing. Dusty Payne, Kelly Slater. That is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But we need to remember that these guys have a paddle in their hands. We need to remember that this is a lot harder. And I would love to see some judges that know how to stand at paddle and have tried some of those maneuvers and know how difficult certain maneuvers are compared to the others, you know? Um, Kyle Lenny, hats off to the kid. He's one of my favorite athletes in the world, and he's younger than me. He's, I've been watching him grow up since a little kid, but you know, he is a smart competitor. He surfs smart. He's great. He can do some of the greatest maneuvers in the world, you know, mm-hmm. but he, he does play it smart. You know, he tries to finish his maneuvers, you know, and it, it's, um, it really, really frustrates me sometimes when guys like Zane, do this crazy, you know, air reverse, pop, shove it. I don't even think the judges noticed that he did a body burial. You know, of course they do. They're looking back at it. But, you know, they're not, I think they really need, especially with this sport and where we're at in the beginning infant stages of it. We're, we're so in the infant stages of this sport that we really do need to be rewarding innovation as well. And I really feel like they don't. They want to stick to that speed. They want to see people surfing surfing. and it's i love it you know but really zane and i we're trying to wrap our heads around how we're going to get zane on a shortboard and surf it like a shortboard with a paddle which is awesome it really is but let's not forget that these guys zane is doing things that shortboarders can't do on certain certain sections he's getting speed through sections that you can't do on a shortboard he's using that paddle to project himself you know, during certain certain maneuvers that you can't do shortboarding, you know? And I really, really feel that some of the judges need to realize that and they need to to understand that this is an infant sport and we need to promote new maneuvers. New, we need to promote these athletes to try new things, you know? Who knows? You know, it's like surfing, right? right a couple of years ago, a guy started doing airs and you had to win. You had to win a heat to do doing a huge air, you know. And luckily, it's kind of flipped back around where now they're really, they're 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 doing more speed, power, flow. You have to be back to the original side of surfing, but they're still rewarding those huge airs. They're still doing it, you know. And stand up paddling hasn't. They haven't gone through that little jump or that little phase of rewarding innovation. I mean, if they just do it for a year or two, I really feel like it can do a lot for the sport. I agree with you there. I think that the other thing that isn't taken into consideration um, in in some of the contests that I've watched and then in doing the circuit down here in Costa Rica where I live is the amount of power you can put into maneuvers 
uh, given the fact that you've got a paddle. I mean, I, I look at the paddle, like I call it paddle enhanced surfing. I think that the paddle should only add and shouldn't take away. It shouldn't be ugly. It shouldn't be in the way. It should let you go faster and turn harder and put yourself in places that you can't without the paddle. Um, and I think at times that when it's just rewarding, just the surfing side of it, and you're not, you're not actually, uh, giving extra points or not rewarding, you know, hitting sections and, and coming out of turns where you wouldn't be able to, or really throwing the board completely out and, and using the paddle to, to pop yourself back up over it. I think that's a shame. And that's something that we're trying to figure out. Progression is the second video contest is, is going to be rewarding progression a lot. Uh, that's kind of where we landed. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. I think that was, that was where Zane, honestly, I think that's the reason why Zane did so darn good in Tahiti too, because Zane's an innovator. We all know the way Zane surfs. You know, we, a couple of years ago, you know, and some guys gremlin, hey, you know, this isn't ballerina. You know, you're not a ballerina. You don't need to be spinning the paddle over your head and all this crazy stuff, you know. But with Tahiti, you know, it's it was surfing. It was straight up power surfing. He didn't really have an opportunity to be doing huge airs and huge innovation. So he knew the game plan. He knew the surfing he needed to do, and he did it. You know, and and that's where it showed where Zane really knows how to surf. He can do it. He can surf rail game like Mo Freitas or Kylan or anybody even better. You know, in my opinion. But when he's at Huntington Beach and when he's at a place where there's a skate ramp in front of him, you better damn well know Zane's gonna try something crazy. You know, and if he tries something crazy that nobody's seen before, I, I really want to see it scored higher than just another power turn. Right. You know what I mean? Where I love power turns. I'm a shortboarder again, mm -hmm. but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what's what's the game plan for Huntington? Uh, uh, well, right now we're we're honestly at the moment we're watching Dusty Payne surf trestles and we're 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 studying the ASP. We're doing lots of studying. We're studying shortboard surfing. That's what the judges are saying. Uh, head judges, they're forcing it down at the speed, power, flow, and we love it. We know what we need to do. So my game plan with Zane is to force Zane not to be doing too much innovation, to be surfing smart. Finishing waves, surface speed, power, and flow. And I know Just that if basic Zane, surfing, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> but, but, but if Zane has that, I know that at Huntington, if I tell him that, if he has an opportunity to do something crazy, he's going to do it. I don't need to tell him to go do something crazy. I try and tell him to surf smart, play it safe, make it through each heat, get through the finals, and then, uh, you know, save, save something crazy for the finals, and hopefully they'll reward him then. It's a good. That's a good game plan. Uh, I can't wait to be out there. It's going to be fun. I'm going to do the uh, do the trials event just for fun. See how it goes. Uh, so if I if I could just touch back on the before we veered away from um, the racing, um, the a lot of the troubles that Maddie and I just kind of explained there with the judging is really what inspired me to focus more on racing and especially last. Last year, I focused a lot on racing, uh, more more so than stand-up surfing, and that was because I knew it was uh, there's no one else in the way of me winning besides myself. Yeah, no subjectivity. So, yeah, and so I pushed myself, and I got some of the best results I've ever had on the on the um, on the racing tour last year. I won the Turtle Bay Finals, the most prestigious Stanley World Series event. With I, a broken ankle. And um, <laughs> also the European Cup and um, multiple other uh, big, big races. Um, but, you know, it's uh, 
it's 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 funny how how the world works sometimes you know one one way you're getting pushed one way and then you're getting pushed another way and now um now i feel like i've got my head around what i need to do for the surfing and now i'm focusing more on the stand-up surfing tour and because that's my passion i know what's important i know what i got to do and i know what i want and that's that's what i want and that's what i want to be known for i want to be known as the best stand-up surfer in the world and I know I can do that, and I know I'm on my way to it. Um, I just got to get those results to to prove it, you know. And um, you know, results some have guidelines, and so that's what we're trying to do: just follow those guidelines. Re, you know, learn the rules before you break them. <laughs> <laughs> How has Starboard helped you in in your quest for uh, the Stand Up World Championship and, and on the race series too? You know, I, I'm so forever grateful to starboard for, for everything they've done for me um they believed in me before i was anything um they believed in me uh when i was a surfer focusing on surfing and wanted me to windsurf and they sent me boards um while i wasn't even focusing on windsurfing they sent me equipment and uh that that inspired me to windsurf and that inspired inspired me to, to become one of the best junior windsurfers in the world. That that made my dream of becoming a junior world champion come true because of that. And um, it uh, they've supported me from start to finish ever since when I was a kid. And they not only that, but they, they really do appreciate innovation. They appreciate um, new things. They appreciate um, diversity. And uh, I feel like I am one of the most diverse athletes out there. And so to be a part of a company that appreciates the diversity and, and multiple sports, you know, they're the top board developer in not only stand-up paddling, but also windsurfing. And um, so to have uh, support from Starboard is, is amazing. They've, they've made it possible for me to do what I do. Without their support, um, I wouldn't be able to do any of these events I do. They are my top, uh, my top sponsor. Why do you think it is that surf companies? I mean, you you just talked about Starboard as an example of being innovative and being able to jump from sport to sport and see new see new ways to enjoy the ocean. Why do you think that surfing is historically so close minded to any sort of growth or change in the water? Uh, let's let Maddie maybe touch on that because. Maddie's um, Maddie's definitely is is more so lean leans toward the shortboard side of things always. Um, I got an opinion on that as well. Do you mean in respects to stand up paddling and a new sports going on in the ocean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've yeah. got I've got best friends that. See, yeah. that's that's funny. I love I love that you bring that up here. You know, we we travel all around the world. You know, we have some of the best breaks in the world right here at our in front of our home, and. Um, a lot of those spots, we don't even stand up surf, you know. Mm -hmm. um, would Zane be allowed to? Yeah, possibly, you know. Would it rub some people the wrong way? Yes, you know. And out of respect, we don't do it. We're the number one regulators, you know. If we see somebody stand up paddling at Honolulu Bay, unless it's, you know, unless it's the Kolu Kalama or the Kinimaka family or something like that, 
you know, we, we do have to be the first people to say something because the people on island know us as the stand-up paddlers. We and, represent stand-up paddling on Maui. And yeah. if we don't say something, it's our fault. Yeah. And so if there's, if there's a, a paddler coming out, not following the rules and not paying respect, you best believe I'm going to be the first one to get shit yeah. for it. And it's, you know, it's really, it's a hard thing. And I, I understand because if you see a beginner stand-up paddler anywhere, all right, somebody like I was talking about, somebody that's never surfed or body surfed before, they don't know much about the ocean. It is really dangerous. They're on a 10-foot long board. The board's heavy. They don't know how to read the waves. All right, it, beginner stand-up paddlers are much more dangerous than beginner boogie boarders or beginner short boarders or, or even beginner long boarders, you know? Um, so, you know, they can be paddling right next to some, I've seen st beginner stand-up paddlers just paddling through a lineup and fall and land on somebody, you know, it doesn't happen with surfing. So you understand why, but at the same time, where, when is surfing or if we ever, are they going to allow or know, you know, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, this guy is stand-up paddling better than I am shortboarding, you know? I mean, it's it's going to be hard, you know. It's really hard to draw that line because we understand how dangerous it is for short, for, for stand-up paddlers. And there's been times where Zane's stand-up paddle places where we really shouldn't be here on our island and God, all, and nobody ever does it. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, some other person comes paddling out because they think it's okay, right. you know. And just that right there just made our heart sink, you know, because, God, we really can't – we – People are looking at us. People are looking looking up to us. We're, we're setting an example to people. So we cannot be paddling out the pipeline just because a few of the boys said it's okay, you know, because there is going to be some drama going on. It is people or other people that don't understand the ocean are going to know what's going on, you know, and we have the respect, you know, to, to know and the kakua to know what and what not to do. And I'm really glad you brought that up because it's something that I, I hope, somehow we can figure out, hey, this guy's on a stand-up paddle board that's under eight feet or under seven feet, you know. But I, um, I think also to answer your question, my opinion side of it is, you know, why do short boarders um, not like the growth of, of, the, of other sports? And it's not necessarily that they don't like the growth of other sports, okay? They don't like more people in the lineup, okay? <laughs> that's what they don't like. And Honestly, so I'm, we don't. I'm a I'm a short board. I don't like more people in lineup either. I'm not I'm not being prejudiced, but I'm gonna say what I've seen as a as an experienced athlete myself. I've I'm still a short boarder at heart. I short board every day. I've grown up short boarding my entire life, and I've traveled my entire life for water sports. Okay, no matter where I go in the world, I see ego in the sports. Guys that think they own the lineup. Guys that think uh, they, you know, they're they're some they're notches above people, like they're the the top guys in the water, okay? And like it's their domain. And what really gets me is that a lot of surfers are takers. They're takers. They take waves without giving back to anything else. You know, they care about themselves and the waves and. I see this a lot of places where, you know, they don't even let kids take off in front of them. You know what I mean? They're like, for me, when I go out into the water, this is everyone's playground. 
I, I, I best believe that there's going to be a diver under me. There's going to be outrigger paddlers on the outside. There's going to be windsurfers flying above my head. And I, I hope there's little kids taking off on the waves on the inside. You know what I mean? Like, let them, if there's a kid going in front of me, I'm going to tell them to go, 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 you know? And I, I, I've seen way too many times where, you know, there's uh, too much ego in the lineup. And uh, sometimes people feel like they're too much, um, like they're the, uh, let's just say the shit. And not every wave's theirs. And, you know, like the famous Duke Kanomoku said, why not let this wave pass by and let someone else catch it? You know, and that's that's a very famous line that Duke said. Um, and I, I really appreciate appreciate that. You know, it's, we, it is a, a, the ocean's everyone's, and we have to be able to share it. And in Hawaii, um, we understand that a lot more than other places. We understand the importance of other sports and the importance of, of respect to these sports because each sport has something you could learn from in it that's going to aid your overall ocean knowledge. Okay, And I think um, a lot of people um, don't have the time, maybe. They don't have the time to... Uh, to, to focus on opening their mind to other things and they want to just be the the best guy in the water in their in their local lineup on the shortboard and um you know for me i'm 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 all about having fun and paying respect to to um you know other people in the water and also the the, the sports in the water because i i do practice every water sport and i and I know the communities in every water sport, and each community really is truly different. It's 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 amazing to to see the the diversity of the people in the different sports. Zane, for a twenty one year old, you have an incredible perspective on our sport, our surfing, water sports, but then also on life too. It seems like. Do you think that's from traveling at a young age? Where did you get your perspective and philosophy on on life? Um, my my philosophy mentor growing up, my, my life, throughout my life has been my grandmother. And uh, my, my grandmother is a spiritual advisor and uh, a counselor. And uh, she's a very important part of my life. You know, any time I, I feel down or I feel something's not right, she's always been there for me to, to help me see the light in things and to be optimistic. And um, I definitely pay a lot of credit to, to my grandma for my grandma Carolyn, my mother's mom, uh, for, for keeping my, my philosophy straight. And I think also on, on the side of it is, is family on a greater side. My family has taught me everything. I've learned more from my family and the sports that I practice than I have in school. And I've de- and since day one, I've known that that's going to be my life till the end is what I'm passionate about and my family. And, um, I've kept that in, uh, in clear, clear thoughts and um you know traveling the world since since 11 years old you know just with your best friend i think definitely forced me to to grow up um and to and to really accept um the world and accept other people and other cultures and really to understand that you know this isn't just you in this world this isn't just um you know, you chasing success, you know, success is nothing without, 
without knowing that you've affected someone else or helped someone else or or inspired someone else. And to me, my whole my whole perspective on life, my goal on life is to be able to innovate and inspire and to be able to lift up my family, lift up my friends and represent Maui and represent my family and at the same time share the aloha of what I feel inside. My what I feel is is bringing me up and that's the passion of these ocean sports. And I know that no matter where I am in this world, I can share that passion with anybody. I can I can meet someone and I could teach. I could throw them on a stand-up paddleboard and know that that's going to connect them to the ocean. You're blessed to have that perspective. At and no matter age, what man. language they speak, no matter if if you know you can't communicate with them, you could you could put someone in the ocean, and I know that when they step back onto the beach. They're going to have a greater appreciation for nature, for the ocean, for the beaches. And hopefully in return, they're going to take better care of our beaches, of our oceans, because they've earned the respect for it. And, you know, Maddie and I have focused so much growing up on um, on sharing our, our love for, for these sports. We, we um, have started a nonprofit and uh, we own a surf camp and a surf school. And everywhere we go, we make damn sure to give back to all these communities to, because I don't want to be another one of those surfers that just take waves, take a result, and then go home. You know, we want to be able to go to a place, do our best, leave a positive footprint, and inspire someone along the way. And so every place we go, we make sure to, you know, do something for the community, whether it's a, a nonprofit kids clinic where we take them out windsurfing, take them out, teach them how to swim, do a beach cleanup. And they get to meet some of the world's top athletes. They get to have fun. We'll give away clothes, give away coloring books, give away things to leave an impact, to show that we respect because we're in their hometown taking their waves, doing an event on their beach. You know, it's the least we can do. To be able to make connections, make new friends, and to share the love of what we do. Because I know that some of these little kids, they might catch that bug. They might become inspired. And they might be able to represent their hometown in, in the Olympics one day for, for stand-up paddling because of these random kids that came into their town and taught them how to surf. You know, So it's, uh, I think that's traveling has definitely taught me more than I could have ever, ever learned in school. And I'm not saying school is a bad thing, kids. You know, stay in school, learn, you know, if because not everyone has the opportunity to travel. You know, when you have – I miss school, actually, to, to be true. Uh, I didn't I didn't get to have the experience of going to high school and, you know, have always having – seeing the same group of friends, but I lived a different life, and it's uh, something that I'm grateful for every day. Right on. Well, this has been an incredible discussion. Let me let me uh, wrap it up here with a couple uh, questions that we always ask because everyone wants to know. Uh, what board are you riding right now? I ride the production. I ride all production boards with Starboard. You know, it's what's so great about Starboard is uh, they make the best boards in everything. Windsurf, stand-up paddle race, stand-up paddle surf. I know that I could pick up a board off any shop and be able to rip it in a knee-high wave to a triple, quadruple overhead at Chopu. And to be able to know that I have my pro model, my design 
a part of the starboard line is an honor. So my, my pro model is the 7-1 by 24 Inzane pro model. And uh, to me, that's my my number one uh, board on my quiver. Whether how many, it's how many meters is that? Sloppy news. It's uh, seven. The new 2016 board that I'm now riding with starboard is uh, 70 liters. So it's two liters less than the older pro models. Um, that's just because we thinned out the nose a little bit in uh, thickness and width. Um, but it's it's uh, man, I tell you what. It's pretty cool to know that I could bring one board with me and trust that it's gonna, not going to break because their brush carbon construction is is indestructible pretty much. Yep. You know, I could bring I could be confident bringing one board with me and knowing that it's going to stay together and it's going to work damn good in a knee high wave to quadruple overhead soppy noose, you know. So, you know, most people ask me, well, "What board were you using a soppy noose when in the big conditions?" I'm riding my same board that you could buy at high tech at a local shop on Maui. You know? <laughs> it's the seven one pro insane pro model. And, um, what do when you it weigh? Comes to, I weigh a uh, hundred sixty five on a heavy day. Um, I, I fluctuate quite a bit actually. Um, I I don't know why, but I go from one fifty five to one sixty five uh, pretty pretty uh, often kind of change around depending on my training and my my eating um how's that board for you to paddle when you're at the upper range there totally fine yeah the hot the most heavy i've been is uh close to 170 and um i still paddle my board fine you know and um a lot of people ask you know how can you do it it's uh it's it's something heavy i don't know if you guys have ever said slack lining but if you ever jumped on a slack line or a tightrope I bet you you crashed your ass to the ground and hit your nuts to the tightrope many times, and it's tough. But if you could understand uh, the balance of that, it, you might look at it and be like, this is impossible. How do you stand on that? But, you know, you learn, you adapt, and you become comfortable. And um, I've slowly moved down in size for the last 10 years, and I'm continuing to move lower and lower. Um, but... I think I've come to a, a pretty comfortable point for what I think, uh, at least at a competitive level, um, to still be able to have mobility um, of where my happy medium is. And that's, I think, around 68 to 70 liters um, to still be able to have quick paddle power to paddle battle people, but also have ideal um, surfing maneuvers on the board. Gotcha. So at 70, at 160, at 70 liters, you're pretty equal in in uh, volume to float ratio there. Um, I just picked up, I just bought the Sean Pointer model and I, I'm, I'm bigger, I'm like 183, 185, something like that. And that's what, 78 liters? And I'm sinking that to an uncomfortable level. You can still paddle it, but it's just such a workout to do it. Um, oh, you're on 7.4, good job. I'm, I'm like 185 and I, I'm comfortable on the 7.7. Seven. I don't want to go lower than the 7.7. Seven seven. <laughs> yeah, I've been using like a an F1, an 82 liter F1 for the last little bit, and I like that board a lot. And so I, I, I love the starboards; I, they just last so long. And I, I didn't love the 77 quite as much. The nose was a little bit bigger; it just seemed a little bit harder to surf for me. Um, and so I bought the 74, which I love. Dude, the way that board surfs is insane. Um, I tell you what, wait till you try these new 26 teams. They're I mean, they blow away any board we've we've ever had in production. Um, I've been uh, really impressed uh, by our development 
program with Starboard. You know, a lot of our top athletes uh, go to Thailand two to three times a year to put in our uh, to share our experience over the years on tour, and uh, we get to actually go hands on and develop these boards. And I think um, we've come up with uh, a, a pretty good formula with our new our new developer, Matt Rosier. And, uh, man, the race boards and the surfboards are better than they've ever been. Uh, definitely keep an eye out for them and get ready to check them out at uh, your, your local shops. Right on. I have a suggestion for you guys. I think that it would be cool for you to do an incredibly high-performance board built for someone a little bit bigger. Because as hey, your boards get um, bigger, they tend <laughs> to get a little bit boxier, um, and they're not as high-performance. So I do a lot of custom boards, but I think like a 7.7 but with the same kind of proportions as your seven one or seven four would be insane. I I'm I used to be two hundred, and ever since my epilepsy uh, epilepsy, luckily I'm changed my diet. I lost some weight. I'm about one eighty five. But uh, you are so right. When I'm on the edge of comparing the seven four to the seven seven, it is the biggest difference. So oh, it's a huge um, difference. Yeah, so I, I really you're 100 percent right on that, and I, but I think they've they've done 2016. Check out these boards. I've, I haven't I've seen been, the 16s yet. I haven't either for my size. Zane's riding his, but I haven't seen the new seven uh, seven. But I've I've heard that they are much better. Cool. Yeah, I'll look um, into it. you know Scotty McCurchard is more of our um, our our tester and developer for the more heavier set guys. Um, I want to start getting Maddie to to help with testing more so. For what you're saying, because Maddie's a little heavier than, than what Scotty is, um, but but yes, the the seven seven and the eight zero actually are a lot more surfy, a lot more natural surf feel, um, while still having that comfort comfortability. Um, so pretty much all the pro boards this year are a lot more surf styly and a lot less um, a lot less. Uh, I, want, I don't want to say user friendly, but just a lot less. Yeah. Yeah, Bodhi, more surfy. The, the older seven seven hit a lot of volume in the nose. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which made it super easy to paddle and let people paddle that board around who you know uh, otherwise wouldn't be paddling the seven seven for sure. You know what I mean? Well, you know, but we're still great. in the beginning, we're in the beginning stage of the sport, and uh, right now people I think need to start to understand that uh, it's it's two different types of balance. You know, mm -hmm. you're going from, when you're doing recreational to beginning. Um, you're above the water balancing, and uh, when you start to go into the more high performance stand up power serving, you need to get comfortable with a different type of balance, right. and that's uh, below the surface balance, and that's more. It's almost an opposite feel. It's opposite of what it of what the reactions uh, would be to, um, to to above the surface. Right. It's actually easier, you know. Some for me an eight zero starboard eight zero. Is that or the eight five, for example, is harder for me to stand on than the seven seven because yeah. it's just floating and it's right. taking little surface bump. Right. Whereas, like Zane said, when I got used to where the water is going up and over my feet, you're actually not moving as much. You're not catching like, all the surface. Like bump. where your feet or an ankles are to the surface, I think is an ideal level for a high performance subsurfer. Yeah, when At you're standing or, or paddling. Standing when you're standing and at a at a at an easy paddling rate, not not super fast paddling, but a smooth, comfortable paddling rate. If your feet are level with the surface, I think that's an ideal level. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's an ideal level. 
um, because then you're you're balancing at with under the surface, but you're still not sinking too much. Right. You know. Um, so it's just it's just a different type of balance, and uh, people are are you know there's more and more people getting into it, and you know the future is bright with this sport, and uh, there's a lot more a lot more to come. I think a lot a lot for people to learn. Um, Zane, where are you cutting your paddles at? You know, a lot of people kind of put me down on my paddle sizes. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I'm more of a, I'm more of a longer, thicker paddle kind of guy. I'm like four or five inches taller than my brother, and I use his paddles. <laughs> Everybody tells me, you know, if, oh, you, you use you use that long of a paddle in the surf. You know, I'm, I'm probably using um, the actual measurement. I'm not good at this kind of stuff. I'm good at just eyeing it out. Um, but my, my actual measurement is just a little over my top of my head. You know, most guys are using nose high, forehead high. I'm still using probably about one fist, um, above my, my forehead, one fist above my head. So just pretty much uh, a little over my scalp, um, is, is what I, is what I like for surfing. And, and the reason being, you know, I've, I've tested short paddles. I believe the shorter the paddle, the easier it is to balance. Mm-hmm, so if I you're agree. having a hard time balancing on a smaller board, you know, cut it down, make it shorter. It'll force you to get lower, force you to paddle a little higher at a higher rate. Um, longer paddle is going to be uh, – it's, it's definitely – if you have too long of a paddle, it could be hard to balance on a board. It could be hard to get that high stroke rate and to get, um, you know, the, the quick strokes you need. What I've developed is um, I like to be using uh, XS on uh, XS430 for starboard me- measurements, which is the smallest blade they make, the smallest uh, um, actual paddle. Um, and I, I use that with a little bit taller of a paddle to compensate for the small blade. Um, but that allows me to still have a high stroke rate, but still have a little more reach with the paddle. So... Um, really, uh, for me, I, I lean for a, a longer paddle because a lot of the time I'm surfing above the lip, projecting myself over the lip with the paddle, almost like pole vaulting where you're coming up, you're planting the paddle before the boards even left the water and planting that paddle, kicking with your feet and it all connects from toes to fingertips. And then at, once it comes to your fingertips, you're exploding off the paddle, throwing yourself even higher than you would go, you know. And that's why I believe it truly is paddle enhanced surfing. In small waves, I could do twice to three times as big of airs as I could do on my stand up board than I can do on my short board. Yeah, and that's because I'm utilizing the paddle to create more speed and also have that little extra length on the paddle to throw myself up and over. But that also, that length, little extra length also helps for, for recovery. Um, what it doesn't help for is tight radius turns. So if, if you feel like you have a, a long paddle and you want to go a little tighter radius with your turn, a shorter paddle will, will help, your, um, help have a little tighter radius of turns. Because if you think about it, you have a shorter pivotal point off your compass. Like right. uh, you know, a, a comp- your tool for math, a compass, the, the shorter your pivotal point, the tighter radius of your circle is going to be. The longer the pivotal point, the, 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 the bigger your circle is going to be. So 
you know, that all comes to play, and I, I kind of have a happy medium between the two. But I definitely would rather go shorter than too long in the in sub surf. Right on. All right, last question for you, Zane. What is your favorite moment, your favorite sensation in stand-up paddle surfing? My favorite moment in stand-up paddle surfing. Now, I have two answers. All right. I'm going to start with a fun answer. Um, my favorite moment in stand-up paddle surfing is that moment where you paddle into the lineup and everyone's giving you dirty looks thinking you're a clown. <laughs> That's my favorite moment. I love paddling to a lineup. Especially in California, it's my favorite. When I paddle into a lineup in California or Florida, and there's people trying to give me dirty looks, I oh, it, it makes me so happy. It's just like people like they look at you, you like, "Oh, you're gonna surf better than." Me. Oh, I damn well know I surf longboard and stand up better than them, and they're trying to give me shit because I'm stand up paddling at their local two foot shore break home break, and it's like, no worries, bro, like. They think, they think, you know, automatically, first impression when you see a stand-up paddler, they think, okay, great. This sucks. Stand-up paddler coming to the line. Okay, guys, get ready. You know, but I like to, now, I'm not saying I disrespect the people. I'm just saying it's, it's funny. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to be disrespectful because I have full respect. When I go into a lineup, I'm not going to be circling around people. I wait in line. I actually wait more on my stand-up paddleboard than I would on my shortboard. I'm, I find to be more courteous on my um, stand-up paddleboard because I know that that first impression is already blown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. On my shortboard, I'm way more aggressive, bro. And people don't even think of it. People don't even question, oh, this guy's a dick. But if you, if, if you have the littlest of disrespect on a stand-up paddleboard, it's done. You're going to be the talk of the town. You know what I mean? And so... <laughs> For me, my favorite part about stand- the funny part is is being able to come into a lineup and cha- flip people's perceptive on the sport, where they're going from first, oh great, stand up kook, okay, this guy's gonna be dangerous, he's gonna steal all our waves, he's gonna suck, and then where you leave, you leave, and then come into the lineup, and I'm like, oh hey guys, how's it going? Introduce myself, you know, talk story, and they're still trying to be a dick. And then blowing air over their head, and then they're like, oh, wait, what? You know, he, he's respectful, you know, actually talking to the locals, and he could surf that thing good. To me, flipping flipping that personality, going from the, the most dark energy to, to sharing the light is really cool because I've had sessions where one guy is looking at me like he's ready to fight me, and then I'm leaving the session, getting his phone number. He's saying, dude, get me a board. I want to go have fun. Try it sometime. You know, it's it's perfect example. Connor and I were in Raglan, okay? And Raglan, if you don't know, is super localized. Raglan, New Zealand is super localized. They hate stand-up paddling over there. They hate it. Connor and I went into the lineup. We, we found the, the meanest-looking guy, the meanest, most local-looking guy in the lineup. And our first thing we did was slowly, not quickly, but slowly make our way to him, sitting or laying on the board, introduce ourselves, talk story with him, let him know we mean well, let him know we, we, we're here with respect, let him know we're not just another taker on a stand-up paddleboard, okay? And then start actually sharing waves with the guy, and sure enough, dude, he's complimenting us on our stand-up paddling, 
we even traded boards. I got to I got to try his short board, and then he got to see me short board his board, and I got to see him flounder around on my on my board that he couldn't even knee paddle on, you know. So they earn a respect, you know, for the athlete in the sport, but also earn a respect for how difficult the sport actually is because it's not just leisurely paddling around, you know. When you get onto these boards, it's it's a it's a a difficulty. It's something that takes a skill. It's a skill set that's uh you know pretty physically demanding. And when people actually earn respect for that, it's it's cool. I feel like I've I've done my job. Um, where do you now, put that? Where do you put that skill set of paddling on a really small board in the hierarchy of things to do in the ocean? Like where does it fit as far as how difficult it is with all the sports that you do? Oh, oh, um, okay, I understand the question now. Yeah. Um, I was like a little bit... I was a little that, that's pretty poorly worded. Sorry about that, but... <laughs> so windsurfing, let me start, let me start with windsurfing. Windsurfing is by far the hardest ocean sport I've ever done. I, I've done all, I've done pretty much, I mean, every ocean sport. Right behind windsurfing would be surf ski, okay? But windsurfing is, I mean, most people, especially surfers, get really frustrated trying to learn how to windsurf. Oh, yeah. Because they they think they're just going to pick it up because they already think they're the shit at surfing. They think it's the most the top-of-the-line sport. And then they go to windsurf and realize, holy crap, this is so difficult. I can't do it. I don't even understand the wind. You know? So I believe that windsurfing is one of the most difficult sports to learn. And on that note of to answer your question, what you could learn from practicing a difficult sport especially like windsurfing, you learn nature, you learn the wind, you learn currents, you learn to read the ocean, you learn something that is going to test your your actual um, physical abilities, but also it's going to test your frustration. It's going to teach you to be patient, teach you that the ocean and the wind is always going to win. If you're not going with the flow of the wind when you're windsurfing, you're going to get your ass kicked, you know? And so that's something uh, really cool. Uh, where I put stand-up paddle surfing, high-performance stand-up paddle surfing, I definitely put it up there in a higher caliber, caliber of cardio. You have to work a hell of a lot harder to just stand there. I mean, just standing there is 10 times more difficult than being on an indo board, you know? And being to, being, to be able to actually um, move forward and, and get into the wave with momentum – you have to really work hard because you're dragging a lot. You're dragging a board that's underwater. And you're dragging your legs that are partially underwater. And so you really have to work hard to get that speed that you would get on a recreational board. You know what I mean? So that's uh, that's that's a really cool question, actually. Right on. All right, Zane and Maddie, you guys got any final words for uh, for the audience? Uh, no, man, just, just for you, man, I really appreciate the call and, um, God, we've been listening to a few of these things and really, really cool to listen to a few of the athletes perspectives, perspectives and, um, God, especially that video contest. Yeah. I hope you're ready. I wish I would have heard about the first one, but, um, in time, but yeah, we're, we're ready. We'll be sending you in a real sick video. And if innovation is what you're looking for, we'll make sure to bring it for sure. <laughs> right on. Well, I also, also want to say a, a big mahalo to all the listeners out there taking the time to uh, to follow Paddleboo and to support Eric and to support us. And, uh, you know, without your guys' support um, and positive energy, you know, it'd be really hard to be doing what we're doing. So 
you know, everyone out there that supports paddling and the athletes behind it, you know, thank you because really, you know, you're all we got. There's not much money in the sport yet. And uh, to, to have your guys' support and to feel this stoke that we have in this sport is something special to be a part of. So keep that stoke going. Get out in the water, have fun. And I hope that we inspired you guys a little bit to uh, have a better respect and to, to also, you know, um, push the limits. So if you ever want to check out Maddie's work, you know, you got to check him on Instagram, at uh, Matso, M-A-T-5-0. You can also check me out on Instagram, Zaniac1, like Maniac, but with a Z, one. Um, yeah, we're always stoked to answer questions if you guys ever have any, you know, if you guys want to learn something from us, if you're having trouble doing a cross, a cross bow, uh, cutback, you know, hit, hit, send us a DM, dude. We're stoked to help you guys out and inspire your, uh, your surfing. And, um, so yeah, stoked we could reach out to you guys and, and make further connections and be able to share a little bit of, of our life with you guys. Right on. Thank you, guys. It's the Paddle Podcast.